speak to you in the name of the one holy and living God. Well, the problem with waiting for the pandemic to be over is that we risk putting life on hold. We tell ourselves that because it's not safe to do X, Y, or Z, I'll just stay here for a little while longer. But over time, just staying here a little longer becomes the lens through which we live, the determining posture for our choices, inhibiting life itself, leading, as one person recently commented, to a meager and disconnected existence. This is not the life to which we're called. I have come that you may have life, said Jesus, in a life abundant. Well before this pandemic, Jungian James Hollis stated that life's two biggest threats we carry within, fear and lethargy. Says he, every morning we rise to find two gremlins at the foot of the bed. The one named fear says, the world is too big for you, too much. You are not up to it. Find a way to slip slide away again today. And the one named lethargy says, hey, chill out. You've had a hard day. Treat yourself to something special. Tomorrow's another day. Says Hollis, these perverse twins munch on our souls every day. No matter what we do today, they will turn up again tomorrow. So each day, we must start afresh. The Roman emperor Marcus Aurelius chose to sleep not in his palace, but with his troops on the battlefield, so that each day he would awaken with a sense of call and purpose. Aurelius wrote, at day's first light, have in readiness against disinclination to leave your bed the thought that I am rising for the work of others. Must I grumble at setting out to do what I was born for and for the sake of which I have been brought into this world? Is this the purpose of my creation, to lie here under the blankets and keep myself warm? Ah, but it is a great deal more pleasant, said he. Indeed, the call of the cozy blanket well, I pray you not take offense that I cite an emperor, a warrior, one who had little regard for the God of love and those who seek to follow Christ. For I appreciate the image of rising each day aware that despite the beckoning blanket, each day offers the opportunity to say yes anew. Like you, I have my morning routines. In recent months, I've been attempting what is often called morning pages, writing several pages, first thing, stream of consciousness while still on the cusp between sleep and waking. Most mornings I begin, hello God, hello world, I am alive to love, and then I go from there. 
in a variation on that theme, our parish staff has been reflecting on and discussing the proposition that for our ministry today is the new baseline. While we may return to much of what nourished us in church, a lot of patterns have shifted. and We're not going back. So what does today offer? What is God's preferred future from this point forward? What opportunities do we now see to live God's love? Our readings this morning tell stories of those who unexpectedly say yes to God. In this hour and in this season of our life, I invite you to consider how it is that God may be inviting you to say yes. In what ways have you been waiting, keeping your life on hold? This is the day the Lord has made. So in what ways might you say yes? In the biblical literature, these are stories of call. Since the beginning, God calls God's people to lead, to follow, to teach or heal, to give or sacrifice with humility, with courage, for love, from Abraham and Sarah to Isaiah, from Mary and Joseph to Peter, to Paul and the disciples of every generation. We know this, but it helps to remember some of the characteristics we see in all the biblical stories of call. Let me recount. First, no one is ready. No one earned it or started out deserving. It is never convenient. It is always costly. God's call can come anytime, anywhere, through any means. In dreams, through angels, at work, in the kitchen, in the temple, or in a prison cell, in a storm, in blinding light, or in silence. While God's call may come in a single moment, almost everyone who is called finds her or himself wavering, needing to commit and recommit to this newly called life time and again. By definition, call involves an insistent reorientation from a life that is self-referential to a life that is oriented toward others, toward God, towards love, towards the least and the most vulnerable among us, not as Marcus Aurelius for empire, rather for beloved community. While the price is high, Sometimes even one's life, the gift is life. The call of the prophet Isaiah is set before the very throne of God in a vision as awe-inspiring as any in literature. Amid six-winged seraph, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, says Isaiah, but once cleansed with hot coals upon his lips, says, here am I, send me. And poor Isaiah, 
Little could he know that while he would one day prophesy restoration and redemption, the opening charge is to proclaim that no no one will want to hear. Say to the people, listen, but do not comprehend. Make the mind of those people dull until cities lie waste without inhabitants, and vast is the emptiness. To be called by God to the task of striving to bring about the world as God would have it be is to join God in dismantling the structures that oppress in order to plant new seeds and build new community. And There is a hinge, a point of turning for the individual and for the community that enables freedom from to enable freedom for, freedom from this construct that we may be free to live for and toward new life. This is made explicit in Jesus' call of His first disciples. Jesus meets these fishermen right in the midst of their labor. The biblical stories of call are special. They're memorable. They stand out. But given how unlikely most of the characters seem to be, the stories, I think, are not meant to signal that the individuals themselves are special or different from you or me. The whole point is to let us know that God calls anyone, each of us, all of us, whether in the temple or the boat or the kitchen or at school, when we're in prayer or at work. When the stories are written and we look back at them, the outcome seems inevitable. Of course, Moses said yes. Of course, Isaiah said yes, as did Mary or Peter. But in the moment, they had no idea what they were getting themselves into, no idea where that yes would lead. So maybe a disciple is just someone who says yes every day until it sticks, until it redirects their path. So we go to the place where that fear or lethargy are most likely to take hold, and from there, say yes. We're saying yes to the challenge of creating affordable housing, or yes to examining systems of racial oppression, yes to uncharted paths of creating ministry. Let's say yes to life, yes, to being here in person. I'm so glad some of you are here in person with me today. Yes, to laughter. Yes, to joy. Yes, to you. Yes, to most any invitation that comes our way. For some of these invitations may be coming from none other than the living, loving God. A closing story. In J.D. Salinger's Catcher in the Rye, Holden Caulfield is telling his sister Phoebe what he wants to be when he grows up. Holden reminds Phoebe of the song about if a body catch a body coming through the rye. Phoebe corrects him. It's a poem by Robert Burns, she says, that goes, if a body meets a body coming through the rye. Well, she's right, he admits. I thought it was if a body catch a body, I said. Anyway, I keep picturing all these little kids 
playing some game in this big field of rye and all. Thousands of little kids, and nobody's around. Nobody big, I mean, except me. And I'm standing on the edge of some crazy cliff. And what I have to do, I have to catch everybody if they start to go over the cliff. I mean, if they're running and they don't look where they're going, I have to come out from somewhere and catch them. And that's all I'd do all day. I'd just be the catcher in the rye and all. I know it's crazy, but that's the only thing I'd really like to be. I know it's crazy. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. It may be crazy, but it's time to say yes. Say yes. Amen.